0: let's continue in our series on the fruit of the spirit and this morning we want to look at faithfulness uh, but to to remind us again of its uh, broader context let's turn to Galatians chapter 5 and we'll read verses 16 through 25 so Galatians chapter 5 and we'll turn to uh, verse 16 Let's give attention to the reading of God's word, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Hear now the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident... Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's uh, bow together in a brief word of prayer before we hear the preaching. Father God, we give you thanks that you are a kind, tender, and merciful to us. You do not deal with us as our sins deserve, but rather in the gentleness and quietness of your spirit, you tell us of your will, you reveal unto us your laws, you show us our sins and our waywardness. And so we pray O Lord that we would you would give us ears to hear that still small gentle voice that it would not require you to gain our attention by other means but rather we would be carefully and precisely attentive to your will that we would heed your correction that you would give unto us not only uh, a repentant heart but that you would give unto us O Lord an attentiveness to your word that we would listen for every syllable that we would listen, O Lord, to every word, that we would treasure them in our hearts, that we would consume them uh, as uh, water to uh, one who is dying of thirst. And in so doing, that you would sate our thirst, that you would give unto us holiness, that you would give unto us a love and a desire to live unto you and to see Christ manifest in our lives. We pray that you would do so both through the reading and the preaching of your word and by the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us. We pray and ask these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. The Old Testament describes and defines God as one who is faithful. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. When we think of faithfulness, we can say that God is faithful. He keeps his word. He has kept his word throughout the ages. We can think of those famous words by the Apostle Paul that in Christ, all of God's promises are yea and amen. So we see that we can describe God as being faithful, as one who keeps his word in the past, in the present, which also gives us hope for the future. At the same time, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we have to descend from the faithful God to us, his people, and we have to ask ourselves, how is it that we, as the people of God, can manifest faithfulness? And in human terms, the Bible describes and gives us a number of different characteristics that defines what it means to be faithful. And 2 Chronicles 31:18 that passage describes faithfulness as keeping one's self holy in other words undefiled by the sin of the world. 2 Chronicles chapter 31 verse 20 talks about faithfulness in terms of obediently following God's revealed will. In other words, if God says thou shalt not covet That would mean that we would not covet and that would be an expression of faithfulness to God's revealed will. Psalm 78 verse 37 describes faithfulness as remaining steadfast to the Lord. In other words, if God calls us unto his will to be obedient unto it, that people would be able to describe us as being steadfast, as being persistent, as being one who sticks closely to God and to his word. Proverbs 14.5 describes one who is faithful as one who is honest. You know, if you think about that, it may not immediately seem relevant, but it is if being faithful means that we are supposed to follow God's will and part of God's will says that we are not to lie, but that we are to speak the truth in love, then one who is truthful would be one who is faithful. In addition to this, we can see in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, in one of Christ's parables, where he describes the obedient and wise servant as one who is faithful. In other words, it's someone who trustfully faithfully uh, follows the will of his master. We could say, therefore, that in a word for us as Christians, to be faithful means staying loyal to our holy calling in Christ and seeking conformity to God's revealed will. Do our lives match the revealed will of God? To put a finer point on it, does the law of God manifest itself in our lives? Do we worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do we love our neighbor as ourself? And if we say yes to those things, then we can say that we are faithful. I think J.R.R. Tolkien captures the nature of faithfulness in a passage that comes to us from his Fellowship of the Rings, when the the chief protagonist, Frodo, is given the task to carry the all-powerful ring to Mount Doom and to destroy it there in those fires. And he's surrounded by his friends. And his friends tell us, you can trust us to stick with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you yourself keep it. But you cannot trust us to let you face this trouble alone and to go off without a word. We are your friends. Anyway, there there it is. We know most of what Gandalf has told you. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid. But we are coming with you, following you like hounds. That's a way that we can certainly describe faithfulness. Following and pursuing the will of God persistently like a hound pursuing its prey well we can also i think perhaps propose a looser definition one that maybe gives us a broader frame of reference to think about the idea of faithfulness and i want to propose this loose description faithfulness for the christian is who you are when no one is watching Faithfulness is who you are when no one is watching, when you're all alone. You know, so often it's the case that we can give the appearance of faithfulness when we're in a crowd. Hey, do you want to do this with us? Do you want to engage with this sin? And you say, no, no, I have to be faithful to the Lord. And so that certainly could be a manifestation of faithfulness. But on the other hand, how do we act when no one else is around? Or perhaps when we can say, when we think no one else is around, are we still going to stick to the revealed will of God and be faithful? So that's how I want us to think about faithfulness, or we could say fidelity, faithfulness unto God. And I want us to ask, first of all, who are we when no one is watching? Or perhaps when I could say, when we think no one is watching, secondly, Uh, on the heels of this question, is who do we esteem more, which I think lies at the heart of faithfulness. In other words, if we think no one is watching, then who does this say about who we esteem more? Do we esteem the presence of our fellow human being more than we esteem the presence of God? who is always with us, and before whom we always live? Do we esteem men or God more? And then third and finally, how is it that we can seek greater faithfulness to Christ? So who are we when no one is watching? Who do we esteem more? And last but not least, seeking greater faithfulness to Christ. So let's give thought to who we are when no one is watching. I think that perhaps more so than any other age before, And it's always a bit unwise to say it's never happened before. But maybe I think I'm on stable ground when I say this, that we live in an age that is vulnerable, more vulnerable than ever before to prying eyes. In other words, to people looking over our shoulder. In in recent years, for example, you would hear about the National Security Agency in the days following the attacks on the United States in 9-11, where they started performing data mining, where they would listen in to cell phone conversations and the exchange of digital data as it went throughout uh, the, you know, cyberspace. And they were listening in on our phone conversations They were listening in on our texts. They were reading our emails, all ostensibly in the name of national security and the efforts to try to prevent uh, future terrorist attacks. And of course, when cell phone companies revealed that they were giving this data over to the government, all sorts of privacy uh, advocates and organizations started complaining, saying, hey, you're going too far, you're prying into our lives, you should not have access to this data. And yet, what we don't realize is we give up our privacy every time we get on a computer, every time we feed information into it. And so what this means is that we don't realize it, but uh, we're always being watched, even when we think no one is watching. I recently, a number of years ago, read a book called Dataclism that talks about all of this, that says that Facebook knows who your favorite musicians are. Google knows when you're ready to buy a new car, why? Because you start searching for one. It knows what kind of car you want, the type of features that you're looking for. And it, based upon the information you put into it, it'll start feeding you ads. Google knows when you're angry or when you're lonely or if one of your relatives has cancer. All the tech companies have to do is look at the information we feed into the internet and it reveals who we are when we think no one is watching. Because we sit there by ourselves in our homes and we type information in, but there are thousands of people, tens of thousands of people looking at that data. We're not alone. What do they see? Do they see faithfulness? Do they see unfaithfulness? There's all sorts of troubling statistics out there that says that when we think that we're alone, and by we, I mean the generic we, the human race we, that when we think no one is watching, we're doing all kinds of things that we shouldn't be doing. Now, I'm about to do math, which can be very dangerous. Okay, So bear with me. But let's just pick a really round number so that I can get the math right. At a dollar a song, a dollar a song, nice round number. If it had been like 97 cents, we would have been in a lot of trouble. But at a dollar a song, there are 20 billion digital songs stolen per year. Songs that people illegally download on the internet. So the math on that is $20 billion. Are you impressed? $20 billion stolen annually from artists, record labels, distributors, and stores, online stores that might otherwise turn a profit on that sale. Only, according to research that I did, only one in 40 songs is paid for. So for every 40 songs that are out there, 39 of them are stolen. Estimates are that they place that 50 million movies are downloaded per year, at least as of 2010, with 49 million of them being stolen. Who are we when we think nobody's watching? With plagiarism. This is an increasingly diff- uh, uh, you know, common uh, issue of stealing intellectual property. A study back in 2005 revealed that as many as 70% of college students admitted to some form of cheating. 77% didn't believe that Internet plagiarism was a serious issue. And this is now... It, it, this is now getting even further accelerated with more moral and immoral gasoline being poured onto the fires. And that it's crazy. Um, you know, my, my son is into computers a lot. And I was impressed. I looked at him. He's like, I said, you did all of this coding? Did you cut and paste it? He's like, no, no, I wrote that coding myself. And I was like, I have no idea what you're doing. But he was, he's he been asked by his school to give a presentation on artificial intelligence because he's been using it and nobody at the school knows about it. So he says, would you come into the faculty meeting to talk to the faculty about artificial intelligence? He's 12. I'm worried. (laughs) (laughs) But he showed me, he's like, I need to make a milkshake, Dad. And I was like, make a milkshake? Well, just look up a recipe on the Internet. No, I'm going to use artificial intelligence and i'm going to ask it give me a milkshake recipe and it pops up a milkshake recipe he says but he says i want it with the following ingredients and it popped up this thing that may not seem all that significant until you say write me a 1000 word essay on this book that i'm reading so that i can turn it in as an assignment to school when i haven't read read the book all of a sudden It crosses a line of immorality. Who are we when nobody we think nobody's watching? Are we going to use artificial intelligence to to generate these types of things? We might think, oh, well, that stuff just happens in school, but in the course of my ministry, I know of at least two different churches who had to fire their pastors for sermon plagiarizing. They were in a jam and they decided to download sermons and just to pass them off as their own. Foolishly, Tim Keller sermons. You'd think, maybe you should pick somebody that's not so well-known, <laughs> you know, if, if you're going to do that. Not that you should. But there are places like sermoncentral.com, sermonspice.com, desperatepreacher.com. <laughs> Who are we, and how do we act when we think that no one is watching? Are we faithful? This brings us to our second point, which is the important theological question in all of this, is that when we think nobody is watching, who does that mean that we esteem more? Do we esteem our fellow human beings more or do we esteem our omnipresent God more? In other words, I think the chief problem when it comes to faithfulness or a lack thereof is that we esteem the presence of human beings more than the omnipresent God. We think that when nobody is physically around us, that the coast is clear and that no one will see our indiscretion or our sin. But yet, God is always present. We are always in his presence. We always live quorum Deo. Think, for example, of Psalm 139, verses 7 and following with the words of the psalmist, "'Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there.'" If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take my wings on the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. The psalmist says you are everywhere. And so if we had the awareness, the theological sensitivity to recognize that we're never alone. What would that say about our conduct when we think that nobody is with us? There's a Dutch Reformed theologian from the 17th century by the name of Wilhelmus of Brockel who reflected upon the connections between uh, our godliness and the omnipresence of God that God is everywhere he says believers since the lord is always present with you compassing your pathway and your lying down besetting you behind and before be careful to refrain yourself from doing anything that would become would be unbecoming of his presence set the lord always before you acknowledge him in your ways fear him humble yourself Walk with him. Walk in reverence and humility before his presence. For to sin in the presence of God greatly aggravates the nature of the sin committed. The presence of people, he says, serves as a restraint against the commission of many sins. So he says, when when you see people around, you're like, oh, I better behave. The presence of people serves as a restraint against the commission of many sins. And if the presence of God does not accomplish the same, you reveal that you have more respect for the presence of people than for the presence of our holy God. What a despising and provoking of God this is. Therefore, let your reverence for the presence of God prevent your sinning against him and let it motivate you to live a life pleasing to the Lord. So I, I want to I work our way into this, be it ever so briefly, to get us to think about this in that if we, re- if we refrain from sin because people are around, what we're failing to do is to remember that God is always present. And we're esteeming the the, the presence of people more than the presence of our holy God. So we're giving more deference to people than to God. That's the first problem. But I want to take it a step further. I want to take it a step further because at the end of the day, our motivation for faithfulness should not merely be because of the presence of God, as important as that is. Think about it this way. Are we merely refraining from sin because somebody's watching? That, I don't think, is a good foundation for holiness, let alone for faithfulness. In other words, it's kind of like driving down the road and you'll obey the speed limit so long as the police officer is within eye shot. You know, you ever have that happen? You're going down the road and you're on a road trip and there's a police car driving at like 64 miles an hour and there's a line of traffic behind him because nobody has the guts to ease on out and, and, and to go past the police officer because they're afraid they'll get, they'll get, they'll get picked up. They'll get, they'll get the ticket. And then the police officer pulls off at the exit, and it's almost like everybody breathes a collective sigh of relief as they stomp the accelerator and race off down the road. Well, that wouldn't happen if you knew that every mile there's a camera. And it's clocking everybody. What if there were no police officers, no cameras, and you could get away with whatever? Would we still obey the speed limit? Let me put it this way. Our desire for faithfulness to God should not ultimately hinge upon whether we think he's present or not, whether there are people present or not, but rather it has to hinge on our love for our triune God. Our faithfulness has to be driven by a love for him. But we should remember he's always present, so therefore we shouldn't act as if he wasn't. We shouldn't esteem the presence of human beings more than our holy God, but it has to be driven by a love for him. So that no matter who is there, we always want to be faithful which brings us to our third and final point of seeking greater fidelity, faithfulness to God, is that if we seek to be more faithful by our own strength, I think we're ultimately going to fall short. Faithfulness is not about us kind of buckling down, trying harder, uh, trying to do the best that we can, but rather it's ultimately about looking outward to Christ Again, as I've highlighted this throughout each of our messages upon the fruit of the Spirit, we have to remember that, uh, that Christ is the source of our faithfulness, which means we first have to confess our faithlessness and thereby receive God's faithfulness in his covenant promises to Christ. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So our faithfulness first and foremost begins with confessing our unfaithfulness. Oh Lord, I cannot do this. I am unfaithful to you. Please forgive me of my my lack of faithfulness and enable me to love you more. And so we, have, we cannot forget that faithfulness comes through our union with Christ as we lay upon the, the, the work of Christ, as we lay hold of it through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Again, remember, it ain't called the fruit of the Spirit for nothing. Our, our, our ability to be faithful comes through the gospel. It comes through the power of Christ's intercessory work. It comes through the outpouring of the Spirit through Christ which means I think that we regularly have to look into the mirror of the law to recognize the depths to which it calls us. I think the scriptures give us the knowledge of God's will because only when we know his will can we be faithful to it. When the psalmist, for example, reflects upon the godliness and the righteousness of the man in Psalm 1, I think it primarily refers first and foremost to Christ when it describes him as his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. This, I think, was the nature of Christ's holiness, that he was continually reflecting upon the law of God. But what Christ does is he saves us, he unites us to himself, and he gives us the mind of Christ so that as we possess the mind of Christ, the faithful Christian therefore finds the the source and fount of his holiness and faithfulness in the word of God by meditating upon his law day and night. You know, one of the... One of the questions that people ask is, how do I become godlier? How do I become more faithful? And I think I spoke of this last week in that we have to pickle ourselves in the gospel of Christ. Pickle ourselves in the word of God so that when you prick your finger, the word of God flows out. And when it is that way, when it is infused in you, when the word of God courses through you, when you meditate upon the word of God day and night, it becomes second nature. It's not something that you have to think about. It becomes instinctive. And again, it's, 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 I didn't plan it. It just worked out this way. I have question 115 of the Heidelberg Catechism in my sermon notes. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature, beginning with repentance, and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of our sins and righteousness in Christ, finding the source of our faithfulness in Christ, not in ourselves, Second, that we may be zealous for good deeds and constantly pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. There it is, pickling ourselves in the gospel of Christ. That he may more and more renew us after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Perfection doesn't come in this life, but it doesn't mean that we do not strive for it. The scriptures and God, for that matter, are not interested in our lip service. They're not interested in external formalism where we give the appearance of holiness. The prophets regularly and vehemently condemn such things. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You can take all of these burnt offerings, God says. I want your faithfulness. Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your god. Think about it, the 10th commandment is against coveting, which is a motive of the heart. It's one it's the one of the few commandments or one of the only commandments really for which we can say there's ostensibly little outwardly visible at least initially in terms of its of its violation or in terms of its keeping. We can all be very good stealth covetors because all it requires is a glance. All it requires is a look and you think, boy, I wish I could have that, whatever it may be. Nobody may know that what you're, what you're desiring. Nobody can detect necessarily your coveting until, of course, maybe that coveting manifests itself in external actions. In other words, from the very outset, God intended for salvation to be not merely external, but to go into the very heart of hearts to the point where the gospel of Christ not only shapes our outward actions, but our inward motives. So that in this sense, faithfulness does not begin without, it begins within. Faithfulness must begin with the gospel-shaped heart. Then and only then. Can we live outwardly in a faithful manner? It's only Christ through the Spirit who can change our motives. It is only Christ through the Spirit and his gospel who can make us faithful. Beloved, remember this. God is faithful. God has been, is, and will be faithful to give you his grace to enable you to be faithful. In other words, to stick close to God even when nobody is watching. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3:22 and following the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I will hope in him he renews his grace each and every day to enable us to be faithful but one of the most i think comforting words in all of the scriptures to me in this note are the closing lines of Psalm 23 that continually reminds me of God's faithfulness to save me to sanctify me to make me faithful. When we read in the Psalm 23 verse 6 it says surely goodness and mercy shall follow. Don't like that translation. I've said this before. It's not follow. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life is what the psalmist says. That's different. To be pursued is to be chased. God's surely goodness and mercy shall pursue us all the days of our life. He is faithful and he will make us faithful if we surrender to the grace of the gospel in Christ. So draw nigh unto Christ through his word, through prayer. Pray that we would be mindful that we always live in the presence of God and that we would live accordingly. Pray that God would give unto us a love so much more so for our triune God than anything else in this world that whether people are present or not, we would be faithful. Pray that Christ through his spirit would enable you to be faithful, that you would be the same person in public and in private so that your spirit given faithfulness would shine forth even when no one else but our triune God is present. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for your faithfulness throughout the ages. Even though we do not deserve your fidelity, you have graciously, undeservedly, Miraculously given it to us in Christ through your Spirit. What wonderful manner of love is this that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We thank you, Lord, that where our unfaithfulness is ever present, your faithfulness is always there. While we regularly engage in sin, O oh Lord, when we think no one is watching, you regularly engage. In keeping your word. While we regularly manifest unrighteousness, you give unto us your righteousness, our unholiness for your holiness. O oh, Father, save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our wanton and wicked desires. Save us, O oh Lord, from our lack of faithfulness. But we know that we cannot be faithful unto you unless you give us a great and unsurpassing love for you, our triune God. Pour out your grace and mercy in Christ that we may love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That whether people are present or absent, we would always be faithful to your word. That we would love you. That we would love our neighbor above ourselves. And in this way, O Father, through our faithfulness, we would bring glory to your name. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.